1: Hey folks, before we get started with this episode of Positively Trek, I just want to drop this quick note. This is Dan from the future, currently editing this episode. It's a little bit late and unfortunately that is because I have been sick the last few days. So apologies for no new Positively Trek in your podcatcher for the last little while, but hopefully we are back on track with new episodes. Thank you so much for your patience. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome everybody to another episode of Positively Trek. I'm one of your hosts, Dan Gunther, and with me, as always, to celebrate some really good news, which we're going to get to soon, Barry DeFord. Barry, how's it going? Well, I'm a little worse for wear, but wearing it
0: well, as Beck would say. Uh, I've managed to get a bit of a respiratory infection of unknown origin and the tests are too old, so they don't matter anyway. So mm. yeah, no, it's just felt like I've kind of had a little ball of cotton just kind of in my upper respiratory tract for the last week or so. Um, I've been working with, uh, younger folk, which has been just absolutely delightful. A um, kids just <laughs> fill, fill in with joy and, and are very recharging and, and just lovely human beings. Um, and they say the darndest things. <laughs> <laughs> I, so I'm told. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but ultimately, it is um, it is also, um, you really do take your life into your hands. I have to uh, doff my hat to all those who work with, with very young people. Um, they're, they're, they're bags of disease. <laughs> and They yes. get you really sick.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, yeah, we're going to get into that time of year. And I know people. People are probably sick to death of hearing it, but we have been warned. We've been warned by the people in the know that have paid lots of money for fancy degrees that we entrust with the knowledge of our society that uh, this winter is going to be a bad one for Mm. flu and for COVID. So yeah, we're going to have to be on guard for that. Be cautious, do the things that the smart people tell us to do. Yeah. And hopefully those of you out there will take heed that advice and yeah, well, we'll move on from that. I, I, I confess to feeling a little bit of a tickle in my throat right now too, as well as a bit of a headache. So something has struck our household. Um, I'm thinking just a bad cold at the moment. Yeah. Uh, the other member of my household and and hopefully that's all it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah hopefully
0: um wishing everyone who's feeling that tickle in their throat get some rest um and do what you can take care of yourself and and always try to be a good neighbor too um you know when I'm up in front of kids and stuff and I've got a hacking cough I'll I'll, I'll put a mask on just and say like I just don't want what's coming out of my mouth going up your nose right absolutely <laughs> U- ultimately that's the point um so anyway 100% anyways, yeah, other than that, it's been a good start, and um, I'm I'm excited to talk uh, some lower decks. Actually, um, I, I binge watched it on Saturday morning, and you'd mentioned before we started recording that it's like watching Saturday morning cartoons. And uh, <laughs> I'm realizing, you know what else I did? I made myself pancakes. Oh, so nice. I ate pancakes and watched three episodes of Lower Decks. Oh, I can't that say amazing. one could top one could top a morning like that.
1: I don't think so. I think that's got just about everything I love right in there. That's, that's awesome. So yeah, that's what we're going to be doing for our discussion is talking about the first four episodes of Lower Decks. We're well into season four already, but before we do that, we're going to talk about some news. And as I said at the top, we've got some good news. So Barry, you're in education. So you recently got back to work. And it sounds like there's another group of people who might be getting back to work very soon. And that is the writers of Hollywood. So the WGA strike has been going on since May 2nd. It's been a minute that these guys have been striking that these wonderful uh, folks who produce, who are the main drivers of the entertainment we watch, uh, have been on those picket lines. And it sounds like a tentative deal has been reached. Uh, It's still, as of this recording, awaiting union approval. I have not seen any particulars of it, as those haven't been released to the public. I have seen posts on social media exclaiming things along the lines of, they agreed to everything, yay. Don't know how true that is, how reliable that is, but it sounds like people in the know are very excited about this deal and hopefully it does give the writers everything they've asked for and deserve. Uh, So fingers crossed for that. That's really exciting news.
0: Um, This analogy is going to fly over a lot of people's heads, but for you history nerds out there, I feel like an alliance of the third estate has taken place. um, Mm -hmm. uh, Very much in the sense that, you know, Seth MacFarlane donated a million dollars. Then Meryl Streep, George Clooney, um, Spielberg, a number of a less celebrities started started shelling out um, to keep this strike going to show that they weren't going to give up, and I think that's important because I mean, first of all, this is a fraction of their worth and how much they can they can just sort of muster on their own. So yes that is absolutely correct but that is something to remark on that um what we're fighting for i think what or what was being fought for i think is the better way of saying it now um, were those actors who were trying to get into uh, a stable income right someone who isn't at the top right this isn't for the hugh jackman's or anything like that it's for the Mm -hmm. the people who are just you know making making a living the doing doing what they love and so i think it's important to always understand that so i think it's important to also understand that that money is important in this, that, uh, and that, and that millionaires and billionaires can use their money for positive aims at a whim. Um, so I think that's an interesting, just kind of way to look at it.
1: Absolutely. So yeah, great news for the writers, hopefully again, as we say at this point, at this hour that we're talking about it, it is tentative, And of course, uh, the actors remain on strike. SAG-AFTRA is still on strike. Uh, no deal has been reached with them. Uh, this is just the WGA, the writers strike. Hopefully that will follow on very soon after though. I mean, it sounds like, I I don't know, I don't want to make any speculation, but I mean, if they, if they agreed to the WGA strike demands, I can't see them wanting the actors to stay on the picket lines for much longer. Mm-hmm. Uh they're gonna want to get those writers' rooms open and get that content flowing again that'll make them all their pretty little uh pieces of paper that we've deemed are worth uh something in this society. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm mistaken there in in the sense of where where I'm kind of directing this. But I mean there's also writers who are, you know, working day to day as well, just trying to make a living too. So um, in that respect, still solidarity from uh, Positively Trek and, um, mm-hmm. you know, actors who can afford it. Keep shelling out. Keep doing that. That's wonderful. <laughs> keep keep that up because
1: people got to eat. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, uh, we spend our money on food. We got to eat, like you say. But, you know, us Star Trek fans spend our money on other things as well. Uh, including Blu-rays <laughs> of our favorite shows. Those of us who still cling to the the physical media as I do, I I got to have my trek on physical media. And there was a little bit of a, a stir in the fan community when the Picard season three Blu-ray came out and uh, the little bit of the final episode with the enterprise flyby at the beginning, it uh, was a different version that people had seen on Paramount plus. And, this was interesting reading a little bit more about what happened, why this happened. And also the fact that they're going to uh, change this. They're going to make this right. Somehow apparently the version that was on paramount plus, and this is kind of a little convoluted, but uh, that version was made special for the theatrical release of the show, which they then ported into the paramount plus version overwriting the original version which is the version that's on the blu-ray so the blu-ray is the original version that was going to be on paramount plus until they changed it with the theatrical version but the cut that made it onto the blu-ray was that original paramount plus version interestingly enough i do remember when that first came out some markets i think overseas in in europe possibly we saying that they had a different shot of the enterprise and that. So they still had the old one and it's all a kind of crazy thing, but uh, yeah, they're going to update it to include this gorgeous nebula shot of the enterprise that, was aired on paramount (laughs) plus did any of that make sense i don't know i i think i kind of got it across
0: (laughs) yeah i read the article i looked at i looked at the differences and i mean it's it's a substantially different shot Mm -hmm. right like substantially i was actually before we uh, were hopped on here i was uh, watching a youtube channel called heavy spoilers and they were talking about uh, the recent uh, return of the jedi um or it's a recent review of return of the jedi and they were talking about the the lucas changes and stuff like that to mm. to things and i and i was just sort of thinking to myself it's like oh we're george lucasing this now great perfect <laughs> yeah i don't know i yeah the the inclination to change it seems bizarre to me theatrical releases and all that sort of stuff um are st- strange to me as well that they wouldn't make it the same, but, uh, I'm just glad they seem to, they seem to want to rectify this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's a good thing. This is a total side discussion, but this has entered my head. Like for people out there who are true, like canon, if it, like everything has to be canon, blah, blah, blah. Like what did the enterprise look like when it flew by in that shot? Was it that first shot or was it the second shot? Which one's canon? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Good God. no. Then we got to ask, have is, you done? <laughs> is the director's edition of Star Trek To The Wrath of Khan, the canon events, or is the theatrical version, Ooh, you know, okay. Can of worms. Oh, it's open. There's worms everywhere. Good God.
0: <laughs> I have to say, um, I have an Eagle Moss, um, Reliant and it, it, it broke in its, in its package, but, uh, I don't, I don't believe it broke because the wrong nacelle
1: came off. Mm. Uh, so that's not
0: canon. So that didn't happen.
1: Ah, darn it. Yeah. But um, ch- that dreaded C word <laughs> rears its ugly. Head. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, interesting that they're, they're going to fix this and also future releases of the Blu-ray will have the problem fixed already, uh, which is good news for those, uh, overseas, uh, cause the release date, I believe is November 20th in some markets. So it hasn't been released yet in all places. And when you get it, it should be fixed. So that's cool. The tangled web we weave. It's, it's wild. What a world. Well, okay. Speaking of Blu-rays. Now this is cool. This is very cool. Uh, We have Star Trek Strange New Worlds coming out season two, coming on Blu-ray and 4K in December. So I was really excited when season one of Strange New Worlds was released in 4K because I actually went and bought a 4K player a while ago because of the motion picture director's edition coming out mm. on 4k. And I was like, Oh, I want to see that. Uh, I still haven't gotten that yet. I haven't watched it yet, unfortunately, but I did get season one of strange new worlds in 4k. Uh, and I'm really excited. They're doing season two in 4k as well. Kind of sad that none of the other series are getting that. I'd love to see Picard season three in 4k, but that's a whole nother discussion. Right. Um, but yeah, Barry, are you going to be picking up Strange New World Season 2 in December?
0: Well, I'm actually transferring over to hard, hard media, um, mm-hmm. actual owned copies, and that is because I am tired of being a, a nomadic fandom. <laughs> um, <laughs> I need an island. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I am probably going to be looking into getting myself a Blu-ray player, and... Our uh, TV, the family TV, is just getting ready to give up the ghost. We're thinking so Christmas time, uh, this might just be right in time. Uh, I think might mm-hmm. be a wonderful way to to crack in the new year. And if I don't get a 4K TV, I will come over to your house. I just learned an amazing
1: recipe for air fried chicken thighs. Oh, <laughs> chicken thighs and strange new worlds. I mean, oh yeah, man. Second only to Pancakes and Lower Decks. I mean, <laughs> this, is, this is great. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I
0: think we can now start comparing what food goes best with what episodes of Star Trek.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, I, I'm there for that. Let's do an episode on that. That sounds great. <laughs> All right. All right. Folks in the in the
0: Facebook, let us know what you think. Should we do uh, a couple of episodes chosen and then we'll, we'll say what, what food pairs best?
1: Definitely. Speaking of Blu-rays, This week, you can finally get Star Trek Prodigy season 1.5, episodes 11 to 20. Anyway, coming out on Blu-ray this week. Uh, So very excited about that. Finally, somewhere you can legally watch Star Trek Prodigy. It's, you know, not being streamed. It is being sold, I think, like digitally on Amazon and places like that. But uh, you can finally get that as home media in your hot little hands. So I just wanted to mention that those of you who were waiting, if you didn't know uh, that is out as of this, re- this uh, episode coming out. So go pick that up too. Hashtag save Star Trek prodigy. Hashtag other things you can buy. There, we got a lot of news this week and I was kind of thinking of leaving this one off because it's, you know, whatever, but I think this is really cool. I think this deserves a place on the news here. There's a series of fine art Star Trek prints, Coming out, uh, this Thursday, this week, Vice Press is behind this, putting out these posters and they're starting with a new Star Trek, the motion picture poster, uh, coming this week. And I've got a link in the, in the show notes. Go check that out. This is gorgeous. Like. Some of the first things I ever collected in quote marks, I don't know, but the first things that I had that were Star Trek that were mine were posters, I think, back in the day up in my bedroom wall. And oh my goodness, like this is absolutely beautiful. I love this. Showing the the Japanese foil one, too, mm-hmm. was just beautiful.
0: And... Yeah, I I would love to get my hands on a print like this. Framed, really nice. Um it's just so cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: The artistic style is um is very 80s. I love it. Or 97 late 70s, but
1: Yeah, it's it's very artistic. We've got this I Ilea, the Ilea probe is basically kind of the centerpiece standing in this, you know, kind of uh V'ger surrounding her, the the various parts that make up the huge V'ger complex with the enterprise heading towards her (laughs) slash all of it in the center. Uh, and of course the human adventure is just beginning that evocative tagline of the film. I I love this. This is, I'm I'm really on the fence like I might have to get this. I love Star Trek art and this is beautiful.
0: It's like I said, uh it's a it's a stunning piece of art and I'm I'm looking forward to following this series. I think it'll be neat to see what uh what's coming up next. Yeah, definitely.
1: So, something else uh recently released that uh, I am very eager to get my hands on is the Patrick Stewart autobiography. Making It So, a memoir. Now, I know, Barry, we talked about this previously. You were wanting to get the audiobook uh, read by Sir Patrick Stewart himself. Have you had a chance to pick this up yet? Not yet. Uh,
0: I carpool. So we are actually doing a different audiobook right now. But I've realized that everybody in the vehicle are also uh, fans uh, of Star Trek one way or another. And so I, th- I really feel like I could probably get this one slipped in. And if not, I'll just drive myself. <laughs> I think it'll be <laughs> worth it. No, I'm, I'm definitely going to be picking it up right away. And, uh, I, yeah, I'm totally stoked. I do also think I will get a print copy as well. I, I'd like to get it, uh, a book as well. A nice hardcover it would be uh, quite wonderful.
1: Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it would be a beautiful book to have on the shelf. I've kind of, since I was young, I've I re- I've read autobiographies by Star Trek actors. I, if you could see me right now on the shelf behind me, I have Nichelle Nichols. Uh, I even read, you know, William Shatner's Star Trek Memories back in the day. And then I think I actually have his second one, Star Trek Movie Memories. There's a lot of interesting stories about the lives of the people that we love in Star Trek. And I I, I can't think of a life more interesting I think, in Star Trek than Sir Patrick Stewart. That could be a lot of fun for sure.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to put it right next to my autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard.
1: (laughs) Definitely. A great pairing there.
0: I, I really enjoyed that book. That was a, a wonderful re- uh, read. I, I, I've read that a few times now. Yeah.
1: I, I, I wanted to mention also, um, the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko, which is coming out later this year. I think that one, that one's release date's been moved a few times. It was pushed back to December and then I think it's been pushed back up to November now. So really, hmm. um, yeah, so I'll have to look into that exactly, and and we'll definitely talk about that when it comes out too. For absolutely.
0: sure, absolutely. Well, we should have a read and uh, Mary book club with with positively Trek for that.
1: Definitely, absolutely. I'd rock some Cisco <laughs> for sure. I wanted to ask you, Barry. There's there's this weird anomaly that's appeared in the Star Trek uh, milieu of shows. Very short treks. Have you watched these? <laughs> nah. Okay, I'm I'm a little, I'm a little,
0: I'm in a snit uh, and it's basically <laughs> because nobody who has seen it has liked it. Uh, so I am taking kind of the, I'm taking the, the, the lead from everyone else and maybe just not bothering for now. And just thinking like, this
1: was more important than Prodigy. Hey, cool. Cool. Paramount. That's mm, real cool. Yeah. Wow. When you put it like that, that makes me very sad. <laughs> But uh Sorry, yeah, this is positively I, trick. <laughs> so there there have been three of them released and I have watched them all. I that first one, I do have to say, apologetically, it left a very bad taste in my mouth. The next two I, I think were genuinely funny. Like I kind of chuckled at them a bit. Uh I wish they hadn't started with that first one. Without having seen it, I don't know if this'll make sense, but like The central message of it felt antithetical to what Star Trek is about. And when you start off on that foot, that's, that's not a good foot, but I see what they were doing. If nothing else, it was a joke that just went on too long. (laughs) The other two are kind of funny. And I mean, it's, it's fun to hear Ethan Peck as Spock or Bruce Horak as Hammer in the second one and the third one to hear Jonathan Frakes and Gates McFadden reprising their characters, even in something as ridiculous as that one. Uh, I don't know. It's worth a watch, but I wouldn't worry too much about it if you uh, don't check them out. Yeah. How long are they each? Like
0: five minutes, 10 minutes?
1: About five, five to six minutes, I think. That's just a guess based on remembering watching them and not really paying attention your
0: average guns and roses song that's fine i can i can handle that i can stomach that
1: <laughs> well we're going to take a quick break here and when we come back we are going to talk about star trek lower decks season four Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners. And I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shout-outs, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes, Episodes and more. Again, that's patreon.com slash positivelytrek. Thank you all and live long and prosper. So we're four episodes into season four, probably five by the time you're listening to this. Uh, we have Tuvix, I have no bones yet I must flee, <laughs> which nomination for best Star Trek episode title ever, uh, in the cradle of Vexilon and something borrowed something green with empathological fallacies coming out this week as we record this. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna say right off the top, I think a very strong start to season four. Yep. Strong start insofar as the four episodes as a whole, I think, with each episode in some ways getting better than the episode before it. In uh kind of almost a paradoxical way, which I'll talk about when we get to kind of the specific episodes. But uh yeah, I'm I'm really digging this season. And now You've watched it in a very compressed time period, so mm-hmm. uh, how, how, how are you feeling about season four? I felt a little like a moopsy by the end of <laughs> I Have
0: No Bones Yet, I Must Flee, because by that point I had, I had snarfed down about four pancakes of, of reasonable <laughs> size, shall we say. I've, I've enjoyed it. It's been good. And, and I think that, um, I think you've actually explained it really well that they kind of get better each one going, but in sort of a paradoxical way. Um, I do think that, that, deep down lower decks is actually really trying to tickle your brain quite a bit um not just with all of the member berries and callbacks and you know kind of normalization of of what was otherwise kind of a unique event in an episode of star trek the original series so yeah i think that ultimately this has been really fun and i'm interested to see where this goes i guess you could say and and i've kind of got a a, a prediction kind of at the end of this
1: Yeah, I feel like these episodes, uh, they they tickle your brain. That's a really good way to put it. And I I think there's different levels on which to watch this show. And I think there's a very surface level. But if you dig below that, these are deeper and more meaningful than... I think some people might be willing to give them credit for, if that makes sense. And I mean, even in the titles of the episodes, like they had fun with the titles this season. I have no bones yet I must flee. Very discovery. Uh, yes. Very discovery. But riffing on the Harlan Ellison short story, I have no mouth and I must scream. Right. Yes. Like brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, in the cradle of vexalon, in the cradle of Vexation. I, I love this, and there's there's more coming up later this season that I won't spoil the titles are there's one in particular that's that's terrific um but they they keep doing this and it's wonderful <laughs> it's great and and there's some. Some interesting uh
0: I, I, maybe we can just start kind of with with um uh, mm-hmm. first, just as a as the the sort of swan song to Voyager that it was, where they just basically took us on some kind of like universal studios ride of all of the things that went down on Voyager, but like pressed through the filter of uh lower decks, which was a. I mean for me I didn't get all of the uh all of the <laughs> the specifics and stuff like that but uh you know it's interesting that that they started on Voyager I think ultimately because what does Voyager represent in a lot of ways you know like it's a, it's an exception to the rule a lot of people used to kind of riff that oh deep space 9 was like the the, the neglected one, but I, I'm going to put it out there that Voyager is the neglected Star Trek series because mm. I, I have neglected it. Uh, so at least in my <laughs> perception, it definitely is. So I think it was really good that they did that. But also one thing that I think this season is really trying to impress on us, if you do want to kind of get your brain tickled, is what it means to grow up. In a lot of mm-hmm. ways, what it means to you know be accountable and and what it means to be part of something bigger than yourself, I guess, is a, a better way of putting it. Uh, would you agree that this kind of brings that into into being as we see the promotions take place and stuff like that?
1: Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I feel like the promotions were such a, a great um, breath of fresh air into this series, into a series that even. I don't think needed a breath of fresh air necessarily, but like the opportunity for story ideas in bringing those themes to life, like Boimler in this episode, before he's promoted, like that, that kind of realization that he has with Mariner and you know, that he, he should go save the ship and he has what it takes to save the ship. And you know, he doesn't need to worry about, the things that happened before when he was promoted and stuff, that's, you know, Mariner actually, you know, put him up for promotion kind of thing. And he's given this opportunity to grow. And then over the course of the next few episodes, we see what that means and and Mm -hmm. coming to terms with that, you know, like, oh, promotion. Yay. That's great. Um, I'm climbing the ranks. Oh, what does that actually mean though? What does that mean for your responsibilities? What does that mean for your relationships with Um, people who were your peers, but are no longer all of that sort of thing, I think is really fascinating. And it's a really a credit to this show that it, it explores those topics in a way that's deeply meaningful while still, you know, giving us the full throated belly laughs, but when you really absorb the message of the show, it's deep and it's, it's very meaningful and relevant to the lives of people watching. I think well said, Uh, honestly, that was um, that was really, really brought together. Well, and I think, you
0: know, seeing all of the little callbacks and stuff like that, that, that came from Voyager, um, I think it's fitting. And it also sucks that still poor Harry Kim, (laughs) <laughs> um, is not promoted while we see, uh, even the lower decks, um, folks, uh, of course, um, except obviously Rutherford, but, but that, that gets resolved later and a few other things get resolved too later. So I think other than this interesting kind of attack at the end that takes place with this mm-hmm. mystery, mystery ship,
1: um, are you recognizing this ship at all? No, it's uh, definitely something we've never seen quite exactly before. Um, there's certain elements that people have said, oh, it looks kind of like this. It's shaped a little bit like an Enterprise-era shuttle pod. It has little things on it that look like the Romulan drone ship. But I'm not, I, I think it's meant to be something completely new, I th- Think. Well, part
0: of me—I mean, obviously there's sort of a initial even even when you see the Klingons, I think they kind of hint a little bit at the TMP music, which is for me my favorite Klingon music. Mm, um, mm-hmm. there was a bit of that as it's coming out of the as the Warbird is coming out of the nebula, but I wonder if there might be some kind of a connection to a s or
1: or Nomad like object potentially here that could be i've seen speculation and this makes a lot of sense to me that the thing it's doing that the beam that it's using is maybe not killing the people we've seen but Mm -hmm. maybe storing them which would would feel very v esque in that case or possibly transporting them somewhere or something now we do see debris from the ships so the ships are are, uh, not surviving but I'm I'm hoping those characters are are surviving. The Klingons, for example, that that Klingon captain is from the the episode from season two, Way Douge, the lower decker who becomes the captain of that ship. And you know, I hope they weren't just wiped out. Like we, that's a the biggest body count for a series of a season of lower decks so far then
0: well one one thing i have to say about this season in general is again we rag on discovery for being violent but when you actually think about this kind like the stuff that happens right like how do they stop the moopsy by by cracking (laughs) teeth like what that's (laughs) absolutely like what the heck so i i do think to some degree there's there's a lot of violence in this show. So even though it's animated, you know, maybe it's not quite for the faint of heart. Also at the end, when, when everyone's merged together, (laughs) I really feel like they took the philosophy of the whole two, you know, the whole, the whole Neelix thing. Right. And I feel like they just like, rammed it down our throat like like we're like a goose and we're frog foie gras or something because like they made it so ethically clear what needed to happen at the end like they, they they just completely messed the whole thing up to a point where you had to bring everybody back and therefore you didn't have to worry about killing anybody so part of me wonders if if maybe that was the writer's sort of like ah shout up to everyone about the whole the whole thing i'll just i'll just completely turn this into uh, basically tetsuo from akira if you if you <laughs> folks know uh, and and then we'll see what happens which was i was kind of hoping that was going to happen that he might just like turn into a glowing something and that would be it
1: i thought their approach to the whole you know, ethical thing about Tuvix from Voyager was, was a good one because there's some initial shock that she just straight up murdered the guy. (laughs) But then there's also, you know, the kind of like, well, she was far from home and didn't have the resources of Starfleet and blah, blah, blah. For the record, by the way, everybody acts like this is the biggest moral thing in Star Trek to argue about. Janeway did nothing wrong. I think, I mean, maybe not nothing wrong, but like, I think it was clear. It was, it was a trolley problem issue. You're saving two. The fact that he was not willing to have that happen to him introduces a little bit of a, but I mean, Cisco destroyed the atmosphere of a planet and killed a Romulan senator to bring them into the war. And Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I don't know. (laughs) I can't get, I can't get too arsed about losing two Vicks. Sorry, guy was creepy. Just kidding. That's bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I guess like ultimately the uh, the episode sets a, a really cool tone as well about this sort of like in the background menace that's just going to keep teasing us i think until we see the end mm-hmm. um, which i which again i'm always worried about the anti climax right Um, of it, you know, not, not landing or something, but uh, I do have to say lower decks has been really good for me seeing it land. Um, And I do Mm -hmm. hope that that
1: Klingon captain didn't just get murked right off the bat. Right. I hope not. Yeah. I kind of liked those characters, you know, cheese saving the day. That was fun too. I guess should remark on that, but yeah, I have no bones yet. I must flee. Uh, again, that is just, just the best episode title. Like whoever came up with that, I hope you know, chef's kiss, you get a you get a bonus for that. But yeah, this was another, I think, great character episode, Mariner in this one. A little bit of a sitcom setup where she hears something and misinterprets it. Um, usually not my favorite kind of plot, but I feel like this episode earns it a little bit. It does. It really feeds into her psychology as a character. This is not a simple, you know, oh, this is the episode of Three's Company where somebody misunderstand and misunderstands somebody and something funny happens. Uh, which is all of them. That's the joke, I guess. But, uh, yeah, no, this one really works with her relationship with Jack Ransom and that final conversation between her and Ransom where he's like, you always sabotage your promotions. And she's, no, I don't. And he's like, well, what are you doing right now? And she's like, well, shut up. And yeah. really actually starts to confront that. Why do I do that? And Ransom's like, I don't know, but I'm going to support you. And I love that. In the live show where Brandy and I talked about this episode, we came to the realization that this is kind of the first time that we realize why Ransom is where he is. This is why he's a first officer. He's been kind of a laughing stock up to now. We don't, you know, we laugh at him and that sort of stuff. He's a good first officer. He's a good commander. And oh, that's why he's there. Okay.
0: Yeah. No. He he used to just be kind of like the Riker Kirk riff, but mm-hmm. um, no, there was a lot of character development. Also, he he let he literally let his uh, a subordinate officer knock his teeth out, <laughs> which yes. which again is is a hell of a lot of trust. And and I do think that that yeah it it gives. Um, Mariner a chance to be seen, I guess also literally where he's like Voyagers cameras everywhere, Uh, (laughs) which, which is funny as well. But uh, no, he, he really does sort of set her off into, into a a really positive character development and something that I think, you know, being an educator, I think geniuses do this a lot. They're, they're sort of bored. Um, They kind of know the score and it's very easy to coast. And seeing Mariner coast the way she has, um, and now finally getting these opportunities to rise to the occasion in a way that's actually going to give her the recognition she's always sort of deserved. Mm-hmm. I, okay. I have a question. Who would win? Moopsy
1: or Ripper? Ooh, I don't know. How bony is Ripper? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Does Ripper have bones? Yeah. That's the question. That's the real
0: question. Yeah. Tardigrade. I don't know. I don't think they have bones. I feel like
1: they're an exoskeleton, right? Yeah. Maybe. Does that count? Is that would that be edible? I don't know. I feel like Ripper would take a swipe at Moopsy and it would just like fly and bounce off the wall with a squeak and (laughs) probably be no worse for wear. So Yeah, and just sort of waddle off in another direction. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Moopsie, <laughs> <laughs> i did see a great meme where it was um admiral april contacting captain pike saying we have a secret weapon to fight fight the gore <laughs> what yeah. is it we call it the moopsie
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh it's brilliant yeah. no i i think um I think it also does an interesting little little riff on human beings at the end as well. That we are actually the most dangerous animal in the universe, which I felt like really went under the radar um, in mm-hmm. in terms of the entire bit of the story. But that just sort of stuck in my head of like,
1: huh, <laughs> that was a, a little wag of the finger there, wasn't it? A <laughs> little bit, yeah, not just you know, TNG would kind of waggle their finger at you know twentieth century humans, but turns out we're still dicks. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> womp, womp. yeah. Yeah. Not good. Darn humans. Um, I, I guess there's also the, uh, the B plot of this episode with Boimler trying to find suitable quarters. Yeah, um, a good B plot. I love a cartoon with a good B plot. Like yeah. honestly, that season
0: one to eight of the Simpsons, perfect one day mm-hmm. you know one to eight, you know a b a b plots just wonderful stuff so yeah this was a really good one i liked it good good uh, good it, bromance yeah. bromance b plots are best b plots
1: <laughs> well i always i've always wondered you know you see like on the enterprise d or whatever there's like the navigational light the big huge strobe that's like flash flash right and there's windows right next to that and i was like who's in those quarters and like but yeah no there's of course there's just like a little shade that comes down and probably um in real time reacts to whatever's going on outside to keep mm-hmm. it a neutral of course that makes sense and of course rutherford would know that and uh and <laughs> that when he first walks in and the bassard collectors are just like glowing like crazy that was wonderful
0: i enjoyed it just for the sake that um how one one can react to change right and Mm -hmm. and how everything can seem like a really really big deal but if you actually you know take time and and look for what you need um you're gonna get more of what you want anyway in the end right and i think that was that was you know the the big piece of that that i really enjoyed
1: and the the other plot in this episode i guess maybe the c plot Or maybe it's the B-plot and Boimler's the C-plot. I don't know. But uh, I forgot to put this in the notes, but Rutherford trying to get promoted to catch up with all of his friends. Funny in and of itself. And apparently there's this Livick guy who's uh, this nemesis, kind of a (laughs) Newman-esque nemesis on the ship. Uh, But the resolution to that was so great where Tandy yells, hey, can Rutherford get his promotion for taking all the hull panels off the ship that one time? Oh yeah, sure. Here you go. Tosses him the pip. And Rutherford's line. You mean I can just ask for what things I deserve? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Billips says, "Yeah, I guess so." Continuing what I think has been kind of a theme with some of Rutherford's stories, which is, going back to season one, which is that workplaces in the 24th century are so much better than they are now. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember back to season one where he was trying out the different departments, right? And he had to tell Billups that he was going to try something else. And Billups, you're going to what? I'm so happy for you. You got to follow your dreams. And mm-hmm. then same thing with Shacks, right? I love that. That was indir- like totally to point out how... Toxic workplace culture is today, and Rutherford's line there: "I can just ask for things I deserve." Yep, what a world that would be. Well, and and I
0: think that um, when you live, and I, and I think it's mentioned later in the season. But when when Mariner is talking about, you know, well, I'm also from a, a post scarcity world. I think that was when yes. when she was getting traveled around on the little palanquin things in the. Um, uh, in something borrowed, something green. Yeah. But I think that is, it is, is in a place where there isn't necessarily people there because they've got to like fulfill some kind of like necessity for life now. Like those things are, are covered and taken care of. Um, you're, I think you actually find people will rise to new occasions and stuff when people have the ability, um, to have all their basic needs met. It, it, it makes them able to act in these sorts of ways where they can encourage people to reach for their interests and, and, you know, test things out and stuff. There isn't as much risk, right? You can't just go from job to job. That doesn't look good. Don't do that. You know, that sort of stuff. And, and I mean, I think there is something to be said for a consistent lifestyle, but I mean, I, I, I remember when I bounced around and stuff like that and and there might be bouncing left in my life. So I think this adds to that, as you said, in the sense that People who work hard can advocate for themselves in positive and constructive ways. And it is sometimes just finding your voice uh, and Mm -hmm. and help
1: and other people can help you find that
0: voice. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And I think I, I would love to think that people seeing that this episode would maybe go like, I should ask for what I deserve and I should expect to get what I deserve. The fa- and also just the fact that Rutherford turned down a whole bunch of promotions just to keep hanging out with, you know, the group, but let's be honest, Tendy, that's, that's adorable. And like, ah, Rutherford, yeah, idiot. I love you.
0: <laughs> I actually think it masks the type of anxiety. Um, that's mm. somewhat, that's somewhere around uh, a level of codependence. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> No, I, I think it is just meant to be sweet in this case. I don't think we necessarily need to read into it like that. And I just said that to be kind of a dork for a second. I but, love it, though. <laughs> but, but I do think, you know, again, it is this idea that sometimes we can sort of stall ourselves in places for the sake of comfort and for the sake of, of familiarity. And I don't know. Maybe sometimes that's not a bad thing, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it, you know, r- climbing that ladder. Um, if you're happy where you are, uh, then maybe maybe that's maybe that's okay. Um, I, I'm always brought back to the song "I'm Gonna Soak Up the Sun" by Cheryl Crow, mm-hmm. where she says it's not about getting what you want; it's about wanting what you've got. And I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I think them all progressing together as one unit, uh, as a cohort, is actually an extremely formative uh, and character building team building sort of thing if you want a good crew then they need to grow together they can't they can't go pop poppin', popping off like little popcorn kernels in different directions right they need a unified uh, uh path i think in a lot of ways so i think this is how you make a good bridge crew ultimately
1: ah that's great I, now i want to see like I, I know picard's done but something set in that era and like these four are well five, if you throw into Lynn, because we're going to talk about her, are part of the, the bridge crew of whatever ship show up. That would, that would be wonderful.
0: <laughs> well, I think we've got a few more seasons coming and, you know, I mean, the name might be a little anachronistic by the end, um, but who yeah. cares?
1: Well, let's move on. Uh, we've got uh, In the Cradle of Vexelon, our Ringworld episode, which, uh, you know, that's kind of wonderful. We've got a non-subjugating computer, which is fun, and they keep worrying that he's going to go that way, but no, he never does. Uh, and Boimler's first away team command, which this might be my favorite Boimler episode so far. The, the kind of lesson he learns and what he goes through, uh, with Talin here, wonderful growth for his character here.
0: If you dare to fight, you dare to win. And if you put yourself in these situations, you have to accept the facts, right? And and I think that's a really hard lesson that Boimler win, uh, wins in the end, I think. Um, and then in that moment where he tells them, you know, get out of here, you know, and, and to Lynn's response, understanding what he's doing, you know, it doesn't really matter to me that the stakes were just just completely lowered. Like, I didn't even think he was dead to begin with. Um, but uh,
1: <laughs> you never forget your first. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> and the koala. And I thought that was quite, quite, quite amusing and everything like that. But again, it's a it's a really good lesson of like, you cannot be in control of everything all the time. So, mm-hmm. and if you try, you're going to, you're going to burn yourself out and alienate the people who could help you.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Talyn says, I got to put you guys in danger. So let's do this. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> That's not how I would have worded the lesson. So speaking of Talyn, I love her in this episode and the next especially, but, uh, what a wonderful addition to this show. I mm-hmm. think like no wonder. I, and I, I think the series of events was she showed up in that season two episode and everybody absolutely loved her. They yeah. had already written and probably recorded most of season three. And they said, oh yeah, we're totally going to bring her back. And she's in like the last five seconds of season three. I think they just like stuck her there. And then it was like, okay, now we got, her. <laughs> now we've got her yeah. for season four. Uh, I love this character. I love her so much.
0: Yeah. And, and she really does like stick in, in extremely good ways to the Vulcan the Vulcan way, I guess. Like, I don't know. She, she still manages to get those, those Vulcan jabs in though, which I just absolutely love, Mm -hmm. um, throughout. And, and she actually, at first I'm like, she's kind of a jerk sometimes. She can actually get (laughs) really cutting to these people. Holy crap to But again, yeah, no, there's, um, she's there for a really good purpose and, um, she's really just blended right into the rest of the group pretty well. Um and yeah, for me my big moment is obviously when when she, you know, understands what Boimler is about to do um and she goes ahead. The lieutenant Um,
1: gave you an order. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I really, really appreciated that especially.
1: And the little nod between her and Boimler in that moment. That Mm -hmm. was that was wonderful.
0: And I think we're gonna get more of a backstory from her um moving forward i think they've already kind of hinted at it that she's sort of like a sort of like an academic refugee from the vulcan uh academy kind of thing and and she's over in the federation world um and i think you know as most vulcans might she sees that as a bit of a negative or possibly as a demotion but also you realize she's learning a little more about herself and everything else um can i just say just with this specific episode um the first piece that i got from this was the when they come to the ring world I, i'm hearing that oh like the the halo uh Mm. music seeing that um it was kind of a neat little piece uh and then also i can't get away from the futurama episode where bender makes out with one of these kinds of computers um i'm just a man pewter fembot living in a man pewter manbot world or something like (laughs) that i can't remember yeah anyways I, i i like how we can riff on on you know, some, some pretty wackadoo writing from the sixties still to this day.
1: So the, the secondary, the B plot of this episode, we have Tendi Mariner and Rutherford getting hazed, uh, which I enjoyed. There's some nice callbacks there. I actually really love the move along home episode. So that was fun, but not a lot of depth. I think to that story, it's, it's kind of, it's a little bit more sitcom-y than we've seen. So there's this thing that's happening this season, where I think the a plots are getting continuously stronger and stronger and stronger, and the B plots are getting weaker and weaker and weaker. They're getting callbackier and callbackier, maybe. I mean, i I feel like um the 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 lower decks of previous seasons was more callbacky than it is currently. And I do like that Lower Decks is doing more callbacks to its own lore and stuff, which is fun. Yeah. Uh even just the throwaway line when they're in the anomaly room. That's the hat that turned Billups into a church tower. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. That really yeah. tickled me. Yeah. Um but yeah, there it, it is, there's a lot of the callbacks and that kind of thing, but it's also the the depth of the story a little bit is getting a little bit shallower. Which again, paradoxically, I'm still thinking each episode is better and better because the A plots just keep getting stronger and stronger. And again, it's only a sample size of four of Mm -hmm. the 10 episodes we're going to get, but it's, it's just a slight pattern that I've started to notice emerging that may not turn, may turn out to not be a pattern at all because of the Mm -hmm. small sample size, but it's interesting. It, it it does sort of come off as like a time limited obstacle course ultimately, and
0: to some degree they sort of build the obstacle course in front of you, especially with the whole room situation. There are some pieces in that. Uh, watching Rutherford just like skip through the Deep Space Nine game, Alamarine. Come on, come on, come on! Come on. Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I
1: thought I thought that was
0: pretty funny. We need to talk about this this Bajoran gift box. The the Betazoid <laughs> gift box. Or, sorry, yeah. yeah, sorry. The the Betazoid gift box. We need to talk about it because it had an inner light (laughs) life (laughs) and it gets no time to
1: process it so like these guys aren't sentient are they no they just repeat phrases they've heard (laughs) so he had a whole like gift box family on katan and like look at his face (laughs) when rutherford's leaving and and this shot is literally a second and a half long there's a shot of it on its bat on rutherford's back and he's just like thousand yard stare <laughs> that is the funniest and most tragic thing ever how will, how will he play the flute
0: <laughs> he has no hands Oh my goodness. Oh my god. I just think to myself, like how as the you know, they're just sort of squirreling through these, but you can just see like they must have really had a laugh setting up some of these things. Um also like what they were planning to do to that that uh that lieutenant guy, um my <laughs> goodness, like they were gonna throw him in the game, they were gonna interlight him, like what
1: else was in there? Like Yeah. Like the game one, that's a bit of fun, I think provided as we learn that his his childhood trauma was a fiction that wasn't Mm. (laughs) that wasn't real thankfully that's funny the inner light thing like first of all i know tng is a a week-to-week series and stuff and they actually revisited it a a couple times which is Mm -hmm. amazing to me but like how would somebody go through that without years of therapy to to get past that uh (laughs) they're just gonna do that to this guy in a (laughs) one-off yeah Yeah, no
0: i think i think that's what makes it just so absolutely um surreal in in its funniness and 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 in that kind of shock humor um let's hope let's hope he makes it
1: yeah but yeah
0: the, the hazing was was fine um, the end, the end, you know, a little sitcommy. you're right.
1: Well, that brings us to the fourth episode, Something Borrowed, Something Green, which is my favorite episode so far this season because of that A-plot. We've got, in Mariner's words, a triple threat girl's trip to Orion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, as Mariner outright states, this is more backstory than we've gotten from Tendi in the last three years. Nice and, and it's self-referential. Great. <laughs> Absolutely. It is so good. And I mean, none of what we find out in this episode is a surprise. Like we've figured this out about Tendy, like the other characters have. Where yeah. She's like, guys, I have something to admit. I was trained as an, Asc-. yeah, we know, you yeah. know, Tandy. Uh-huh. it's fine. Yeah. But it's so well done. Like even on the level of exploring another culture of people that we've seen since the very beginning, like, let's absolutely explore Orion and bring it up to the levels of Vulcan or Bejor or mm. uh, Kronos. You know, like, I love this kind of deep dive into the culture, which done in the, you know, wacky backdrop of Lower Decks. Yeah, there's some things that are enhanced and and kind of made more animated. Ha ha ha. Tee-hee. But it's also, it feels like a real culture that one of our main characters came from. And I loved it. I loved every minute of that part of this episode <laughs> well again I
0: think it it has to do a lot with um people in different cultures their inborn natures uh, in a lot of ways and in certain cases um you can sort of sometimes not feel like you fit right um mm-hmm. and and how do you manage that uh, if you don't fit and so I think that that's really explored well and then and then of course mm-hmm. um Tendi's sister um Devana is her name right
1: uh, right. De Erica, Tendi, Tendi is Devana. Yeah, Devana,
0: right? Sorry, Ugh. I'm so bad with names, Dan. It's the worst. <laughs> anyway, yeah, derica De Erica is is living in the shadow, right, of this sort of like never was but better than you always older sister. Whereas in it, it very sort of like similarly as uh, as Mariner did when she went nuts in the hollow deck that one time, uh, De Erica kind of proves herself wrong through actually finally challenging the person who she feels she's cast in the shadow of. And I think that's an important thing for people to do. It's important to understand that, you know, having heroes isn't necessarily bad, but know that you're not meant to live up to anybody's standard, but your own. Uh, and obviously mm-hmm. that's, that's, I think kind of what, what I get out of that whole, that whole story arc uh, about Erica. About Tendi, however, D- 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 Davana, um I think there's something about, though you may not feel like you fit don 't necessarily throw everything about what you are out uh, as well right there's always mm-hmm. there 's something to salvage there 's something to to understand in yourself i 've actually kind of done that myself. Um, I have Irish heritage um, and have never really meaningfully looked into it and uh, i've just started really looking in now and I found some really interesting uh, tidbits about myself. Uh, in ways that I just had never really thought about. So it's pretty cool. Um, and I think, I think this episode does a good job of doing that.
1: Yeah, Again, if you're looking for it, if you, if you're looking under the surface, there's some deeply meaningful lessons to be had here. And it's done in such a fun way, like this exploration of this culture uh, and Tendy's embarrassment at it when, which is, you know, not, I think warranted, but in the eyes of, the people she sees as her friends, this is a part of her life that she wants to hide. She, as she says, doesn't want them to see the real her. And as Mariner says, Tendy, the real you is the one who geeks out about science. And you know, all of, all of this stuff is a part of you, but it's not all you are. Like you are all these other things as well. And we love you. Like you're amazing. And you're really cool and kick ass apparently. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I, I loved it. And uh, we have to talk about Tolin in this episode as well, because this is my favorite Tolin episode. She is like, from the very beginning where she's like, I would like to look at their aquifers, Yeah, you know, but then like, uh, you know, wow, for someone who's so, you know, such a big piece of beefsteak, he sure can move move fast or whatever. He is aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I've loved that statement. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, as, you know, her former Vulcan commander in that other episode would say you have lost all control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, no, it, it the the, the whole society, obviously, knowing Orion is a matriarchal kind of pirate society, is, a, is an entertaining riff and, and a really good way to kind of take a lot of those roles and put them on their heads. Um, just recently, another Trek YouTuber, Junkball Media, just did a thing on The Scant. And I thought that was really interesting because there was a lot of intention at the beginning of TNG to challenge a lot of gender norms um, and stuff like that. And so though I think this one is is a bit more um, safe in the sense that really women in a lot of cases are sort of just occupying the roles that men might have in the past. Or we could say, you know, pirate women might have occupied this role at certain points um, in the Caribbean pirate era in like the 1500s to the late 1700s kind of idea. It's still fun to watch. I like the the riff on the matriarchal society, uh, how men are cast and portrayed uh, and everything like that. What, What did you feel about that? Did you Did you think it was done well?
1: I think so. And I mean, it's, it's a nice kind of, um, connecting the dots, I guess, or maybe crossing the T's and dotting the I's of, of what we've seen of Orion culture before where, you know, I think enterprise kind of tried to repair some of what. TOS had done with the, the green animal women who actually like being abused according to the cage. Right. Which is, mm, geez, what a place to start from. Right. Yeah. But then, you know, there's the revelation that it's the women who control the men, but it was kind of done in a really weird, like gotcha moment way where you're like, how does this actually work? Like how does that square with what we've seen? And I think, feel like this episode does a really good job of kind of squaring that circle. Is that the right term where it kind of makes that make sense and, and works and feels like enterprise did the, like the women are in charge as the like, whoa, wild, how crazy moment, which is in and of itself kind of gross and problematic, but yeah, this makes, makes more sense. I mean, you communicate so much in just the introduction of her parents. This is the warrior queen Shona and (laughs) Bert, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Bert. <laughs> But he he
0: he seems just thrilled to be Bert, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like just, just totally content uh, to do his thing. Um, and mm-hmm. I think I think you know it's interesting because I don't think it makes the men on Orion any less masculine, right? right. Like they could lift you over their head, they could crack you over their knee, um, they could do anything any man could but it it is just sort of the, the the superstructure of society is is flipped in such a way that that the matriarchal element of it has that power and and i think that's just it's a fun way to kind of riff on things and if anything i hope it pulls people some people a little bit out of their comfort zone and you know get other people sort of imagining well what would what would actually a truly matriarchal society really look like right what sort of aspects would be different uh and can we look to history to see if there are other matriarchal societies and are there contemporary ones that exist so that mm. one actually kind of got me thinking and and a couple of the star trek people i have in my life right now uh i've brought this question up and and yeah, sort of actually trying to envision what that might look like.
1: Well, uh, I mean, the B-plot of this one, we have Boimler and Rutherford uh, arguing over misting a bonsai and then dressing up as Mark twain to uh, resolve their differences, which in and of itself was fun. It was, it was amusing. Once you get the Chalnoth captain and Captain Freeman dressed up, in that as well uh, i feel like they kind of lost the plot a little bit there it jumped
0: the shark (laughs) at that point you're right
1: a little bit yeah which again is amazing that this is still my favorite episode up to this point because that a story is so good but yeah uh, this was the first b plot where i was kind of like i don't know so this this gets me thinking and 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 maybe we can
0: use this to think ahead to to what this series is going to bring us uh and that is that that could lower decks as you're saying the a plots are getting really really nice and they're and they're really starting to solidify but these b plots are starting to kind of dangle a little bit off of these better stories right um and they're they're amusing and and good for you know kind of existential humor (laughs) that we both laughed at like i wonder if sometimes lower decks might run the risk of going in the direction of the simpsons has now that kind of zombie simpsons where it's just sort of a series of mechanically connected floating signifiers that reference other parts of the same franchise, but earlier, but in ways that are sort of shallow and non-contemplative, I guess is the best way to put it. And that's sort of the fear that I have. What do you think? Do you think that that, that there could be a risk that these B-plots might kind of like infect sort of other better stories to some degree, or at least kind of break down? To some degree, um, the the quality
1: of the show we're gonna watch. I, I think there's there's always that risk. There's always a bit of a danger of that. But I and I mean I might be completely misreading this, but what I kind of see, what I feel like might be happening is these a plots like they're still hilarious, they're still funny, but they're getting serious, right? They're they're delving into these characters, and I'm wondering if there's a fear on the part of the, the writers or the, or the show that like we need something really wacky to offset that, you know, in, mm. in case we want to get all the viewers, right. We want to get the people who are invested, but we want to get the people that are, There for the weekly laugh and hey, if we're too serious here, we got to up the wackiness factor over here. Like my personal opinion, you don't have to do that. Like Mm -hmm. I think like the bit on the bit on Orion, I was killing myself laughing at Mariner continually getting stabbed in the shoulder. That was great. One of which was even off screen, like after yeah. they're going, they're going through the pictures at the end. She's like, oh, this is where I got stabbed in the shoulder during the daddy daughter dagger dance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay. So it happened at least four times, apparently. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I feel like they can do wacky paired with meaningful. If I'm reading that correctly, that maybe they're a little afraid to go too deep. So they have to offset it with a a wacky story that has no, you know, real deep stuff. I don't think they need to do that. And I mm-hmm. think they need to push against that instinct if if that is what's happening. So I think I think that's
0: that may be kind of where they go is I hope because obviously these, these episodes are, are post production, so writing has ceased on them all. I think as these episodes move forward where we might actually see a bit more of a reliance on that more A-plot writing and maybe a, lessen, a less amount of the B-plot. At least that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I mean, obviously these episodes are in post-production. The writing part is long done. Um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So that reminds me of the end of season one, when I think they really did kind of give us a taste for what they can do in their story writing. And when I think of what happens it, uh, when the one ship tries to go to warp when the pack lids are, are stopping them from doing that, and they basically rip themselves to pieces. That had a lot of heart. That had a lot of feel. Like that one really hit me. And it made mm-hmm. me be like, oh oh wow these guys can tell a story and since then there's been that piece and i wonder if to some degree this could end up going the way of dragon ball uh, for those who might be familiar with the original series was sort of just slapstick funny kind of goofy storytelling Um, but it becomes like hyper macho and wildly problematic but it becomes very serious uh, as time kind of goes on Uh, and i wonder to some degree if that's that could be a direction that Lower Decks might take in the coming seasons, that there will still be room for the slapstick, goofy um, humor, but they might not try to go quite as deep into the just wackadoo goofball sort of stuff just to kind of get those kind of uh, cheap laughs, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like, uh, as as you've said, there have been indications and victories when it comes to storytelling in this medium in ways that I probably didn't expect when they announced, you know, a half hour Star Trek sitcom, you know, way Mm -hmm. back when I care about these characters so much. And when Tendi is having her heart to heart with her sister, this feels real. Um, There are times that oddly, like in a, in a weird way that I can't quite explain, I kind of forget that it's animated, if that makes sense. Like I'm, I just get lost in the story and I'm like, wait, (laughs) this is, huh. And it's so good. So yeah, they have that ability. They've proven it time and time again. I I see no reason to completely rely on wackiness. Wackiness will always be there because of that's the show it is, Mm -hmm. but It's paired with great storytelling and, you know, for everyone out there, and I'm I'm sure there's nobody at this point listening to the episode who hasn't given Lower Decks a chance and isn't into the show. But Mm. for those of you who have Star Trek friends out there who write off Lower Decks and say that it's, oh, it's just whatever. Think of something like if you're a Star Wars fan, the Clone Wars, what that show turned yeah. into or Rebels, what that show turned into by the end and very much same trends with Lower Decks. The, the medium isn't necessarily the message in this case. I Mm -hmm. think there are episodes that can move you just as much as, you know, Darmok or the inner light or something like that. Both that have already happened in this series and that I'm sure there's the potential to yet happen going forward. So...
0: I mean, I'm still processing that peanut hamper episode, to be honest with you. I still don't I mean, know what to make of it.
1: The whole time I was talking, that episode was popping into my head. And I said, I was thinking to myself, there are always exceptions. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. You're, you're going to have to, you know, make some really good chicken thighs that night. Uh, Oof.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Like the joke? Sorry. That was a bad pun. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's levels to that pun that that only hit you after a moment or two.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think, what do you think is going to happen ahead here in, in terms of, uh, of Lower Decks. Do you have any predictions? Do you have any, any thoughts, any concerns?
1: Well, one thing that I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to or hoping for is like a continuation of the serious personal stories with regards to these characters. But I also want to see stories that are a little more meaningful to the entirety of the setting, the Federation and the politics of it and things that are happening. And we've seen, Hints of that. I think this this ongoing threat of whatever this is, uh, we know that people are taking notice of it, right? Like it's going to figure into the storyline going forward. There's mention in the most recent episode of, you know, the Federation wanting to build goodwill with the Orions since the loss of one of their ships, right? So this is starting to have this kind of political impact. And I would love to see more stories with our characters or at least the crew of the Cerritos kind of at the center of big events, not necessarily something big coming and going to kill everything on earth because, or the entire galaxy or whatever. Let discovery do that. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, I love geopolitical stuff. I love with the Paklids, right? The whole negotiating with the Klingons and there's something going on there. Like I, I, I want to see more of that import to the Star Trek universe. And Let's have this show make a name for itself such that, you know, as many times as they reference other Star Trek shows, I want to see some future Star Trek show reference something big that happened in Lower Decks.
0: I mean, to some degree, did Strange New Worlds kind of
1: give us a, I mean, a taste of that? Yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah. I, and and more. More. I want to see more of that. Yeah. You know?
0: I walk like that now. Um, like Boimler <laughs> does his little speed walk there. Like I, I'm 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 still quite blown away um just how cartoonish that looked. It was wonderful.
1: Oh, it was so good. I I was thinking the other day about how weird it would have been for Jack Quaid to have like voiced this character for three seasons and then have to go back and watch it to see how the animators animated him so that he could emulate that performance in Strange New Worlds. Like what an odd exercise for an actor. And I kind of love it. <laughs> they did a fantastic job. You really did. Absolutely. Well, favorite character this season? What, I mean, we're not that far in, but we're also almost halfway in, so. I have an emotional crush on Devon Attendi. Oh yes, absolutely.
0: Definitely. I, I, it's, it's an idea that, like, I don't necessarily would say that, like, I, I would find an animated character, like... I I don't know. It's, it's, it's an emotional crush. It's an idea of like, I feel you. I totally feel you. Like I, I know what you're Mm -hmm. coming from, like to feel a certain level of like frustration with um, elements of, of your heritage, but also thinking about um, the things that make you uniquely yourself and what people like you for and being unapologetically yourself in, in certain cases, you don't have to be so guarded um, and stuff like that. So, and I've really, really appreciated, uh, her arc and, and yeah, I just, I just want to give her a big hug until it's okay.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, I'm right there with you. Tendi has been a favorite since very early on for me. And it seems like she keeps giving me new reasons to consider her my favorite character. I love Talin and I love that Talin calls Tendi, her friend in this Mm -hmm. most recent episode, which is like, it's funny. There's only been four episodes and she's only been in three of them and she feels like a a inseparable part of this group now, which blows my mind. Um, So Talin is fast becoming a favorite of mine as well. I
0: hope she doesn't end up Star Trek dead.
1: Yeah, I hope not. I don't think so. I feel like the creators know what they have here. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, for sure. And Boimler. I love Boimler. I'll always have.
0: Yeah, I, I like Boimler's um again that the him having to learn how to command has been, has been pretty great because he's still going to be himself in so many ways, I think, but also it, he, he really has represented like him and Mariner are, are doing the, the greatest amount of growth, obviously, mm-hmm. um, as we go forward in all of this. And tendy has got a big episode. I think Rutherford's going to wind up getting one pretty soon too in that regard. Yeah, no, I, I would say Tendy's probably my favorite character. Um, I think, I find it interesting that, that the bridge crew, other than Ransom, haven't played as much of a of a direct role uh, this time around, which I think is good, too, kind of fitting for lower decks, right? You're kind of meeting those mid-range officers, and they're all kind of being themselves and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I, I think we're going to have a good a good end to this. I don't, I don't feel like we're going to run out of any steam anywhere, but uh, if things get a little more serious, I wouldn't be terribly surprised.
1: And to your point, yeah, there is no running out of steam for this show anytime soon. Like every time I think that like, oh, it's getting a little, they, they do something that I'm like, I hadn't thought of that. That's amazing. And for this season, that has been those promotions and the story possibilities that's opened up so much fun. So Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to be here, of course, for the rest of the Lower deck season. I'm sure we'll talk more about them as they come out. We've got Empathological Fallacies coming this week. Yeah, yeah. And many more great episodes to come where that'll, that will mark the halfway point in the season wildly. Like, I can't believe we're already there, but, uh. I I can't wait to see where they go and and what else happens. And what the heck is this big ongoing threat thing? What is that? And I'm, I'm sure we'll find out soon. And I don't think we'll be disappointed. I feel like they've got something interesting up their sleeve at least. Yeah, I'm I'm ex- I'm I'm here for the ride. All right. Well, if you'd like to reach out to us positively at gmail.com. You can email us there. You can also find our discussion group on Facebook. Just search for Positively Trek. Join the discussion group. Uh we'd love to have you. Always great discussions happening there. Patreon.com slash positively trek. I'm on social media still, sometimes. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not very active, but uh, I notice things I see you i lurk i 'm back to lurking it 's the late nineties now again i lurk
0: yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm i 'm pretty much just uh just keeping up with uh with politics uh and stuff like that and and all of the crazy things that social media uh creates so yeah no it 's uh it 's a good place to find on uh, positively trek always very nice people there. I love that discussion group uh, they 're really the only people i 've ever really engaged much on Facebook with in the last six years so wow. yeah <laughs> here's to technology
1: awesome. here here well thank you all so much for joining us this week we will see you again in the next episode until then as always stay positive